Hello, I'm Jim White. Welcome to It's Friday, your guide to the best of arts, culture and entertainment to enjoy in lockdown life. You can find us on Spotify, Apple and Google and leave us a review. And don't forget to sign up for the daily Mail Plus briefing at mailplus.co.uk. This week, since there's no live action going on, we're obliged to look to the movies for our sporting fix in the documentary In Search of Greatness featuring Serena Williams. I've been trying to figure this out for years and years to what separates athletes and what makes an athlete go to another level. And talking of great, we'll be meeting Jeff Wayne, the man who brought us this unforgettable tune in his epic prog rock musical, War of the Worlds. After grabbing our attention through its superb re-evaluation in the recent ITV drama quiz, Who Wants to Be a Millionaire returns to our screen, this time with absolutely no coughing involved. Before that, though, today is VE Day. 75 years ago, it seemed as if the entire population of the country poured out onto the streets without any thought of social distancing to celebrate the end of the war in Europe. And seven and a half decades on, the war still informs so much of our cultural output. In lockdown, our television schedules are alive with tales from the war. From Dad's Army... Stupid boy. ...to Steven Spielberg's sublime Saving Private Ryan. I don't know anything about Ryan. It's just a name. But if finding him so he can go home, if that earns me the right to get back to my wife, well then that's my mission. With me to pick their way through the best of the wartime drama currently available to watch, I'm delighted to be joined by the Daily Mail's television expert, Claudia Connell, and the paper's film guru, Brian Viner. Uh, Claudia, I'm not exaggerating, am I? The TV schedules still seem to be filled with Second World War stuff. Yeah, and especially tonight and this weekend for the VE Day celebrations. Um, Dad's Army, the little remake, is on ITV tonight. Um, the Eagle has landed, is on BBC Tomorrow, BBC Two. The Darkest Hour is on BBC One. And then Sky Greats, which is one of the Sky Movie channels, has back-to-back movies all day, sort of today and tomorrow. So films like Saving Private Ryan, Bridge on the River Kwai, Desert Rats, The Guns of Navarone, all of the great ones are going to be seen this weekend. Uh, Brian, there seems to have been quite a recent rush of new movies. Claudia mentioned The Darkest Hour there. Uh, yeah. we, we had Dunkirk. Do they match up to, to the greats that will be around uh, this they weekend? Do, uh, and, and, of course, 1917, although that was the first World War movie. But, yeah, the, the, I mean, they do. And, of course, you know, the, the technology is much better now. And so the realism is perhaps better. But I must say I still have a fondness for those old classics the old black and white classics and in fact a lot of those are on this week in fact a huge amount of them are on today you can go from virtually dawn till midnight watching those some of those old classics on various channels if you can find them today this happy breed and battle of the bulge and guns of navarre all that kind of stuff i have a fondness for a, for a bridge too far actually which uh, came out which was a little bit later 1977 we've paid for that bridge and we're going to collect we're going to fly 35,000 men 300 miles and drop them behind enemy lines. It'll be the largest airborne operation ever mounted. Quite frankly, 
This kind of thing's never been attempted before. We shall seize the bridges, it's all a question of bridges, with thunderclap surprise. And hold them until they can be secured. And we go next Sunday. Seven days. Soon we go the best. But it, and it wasn't all that well received, and it was nicknamed at the time an hour too long, which is about right. But because uh, <laughs> it goes on forever, but um, it has a most extraordinary cast of Laurence Olivier and Dirk Bogard and Michael Caine, Sean Connery. Oh, it's just just incredible. And 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 um, not to mention the director Richard Attenborough, who pops up on the credits as lunatic wearing glasses. So if you've oh, glasses, that's you know, that's what, one of the great roles, yeah, lunatic absolutely. wearing glasses. One of my favourites is uh, Saving Private Ryan, which uh, just as you say manages to get the special effects so right. The three men are brothers, sir. I've just learned that this afternoon their mother's getting all three telegrams. That's not all. There's a fourth brother, the youngest. He's somewhere in Normandy. We don't know where. That boy's alive. We're going to send somebody to find him. And we're going to get him the hell out of there. What I wonder, Claudia, is the 75th anniversary of VE Day, do you think this will be a full stop? Do you think we're going to stop being fascinated by the war drama-wise? No, I don't think so. I, I, I don't really see why we, we should be. You had, um, just at the end of last year, World on Fire, that was a big production for the BBC. They spent a lot of money on that, and it, it was very popular. So I, I think it's going to run and run. So what's your favourite all-time then, uh, Claudia? My my favourite is I'm I'm not madly keen on 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 the the war films that show too much sort of battle. I I I don't like you know too many sort of um, guns firing and bombs exploding. I I, I like it with a sort of more of a, more of a story. So a film that I loved was one called um, Hope and Glory. It was a John Vorman film, and it was about his own life and um, his own experiences growing up during the Blitz. Because um, a lot of families living in London chose to not evacuate their children and his family was one of them and um, the film's about a, a boy called Billy he's 10 years old and um, for him World War II is just a really exciting time and I, I think we have a clip here Rowan what are you doing here this is our territory looking for shrapnel get him take him to HQ but blindfold him first what have you got look so, uh, Brian, Claudia doesn't like too much war in her war movies. What about you? What, what, what's your favourite? I don't, I don't mind a bit of war in my war movies. I, as I said before, I think I love, you know, those old black and whites with that starred either Kenneth Moore or John Mills or very possibly both of them, you know, stiff upper lip, all that kind of stuff. Dan Busters is a favourite of mine. Uh, this Happy Bree, Bridge on the River Kwai, which is a bit later, uh, is, is wonderful. So... You take your pick, any of those, really. But as for the appetite for, for the Second World War, you know, you only have to look at TV. Dad's army is, will go on forever, I suspect. Yeah, that's that's very true. Uh, and, and Claudia, um, you, you mentioned good things. You mentioned things you've enjoyed. Uh, anything you'd rather not see again? that came out of the war well do you remember hello hello jim that, ah. that started in the early 80s and it, it went on for about 10 years and it was huge it used to get audiences of about 16 million but it was just it's it, i mean it it was it, it was just it hasn't dated but it wasn't even very good back then um <laughs> and it's it's i think again i think we can remind ourselves with a little clip now i have solved the problem of the two british airmen come 
Carstairs, you're standing like a tart again. <laughs> Nobody will suspect them. They look like the stuff. Edith, the Germans take the stuff upstairs from time to time. Now, if they took these two upstairs, do you not think their suspicions would become aroused? Claudia, I think I've heard you describe that as the, the Mrs. Brown's boys of its yeah, time. Yeah, it was hugely popular, but but everyone, nobody actually admits to watching it, and everyone's just a bit baffled by its success. <laughs> so, Brian, it's going to go on and on, uh, the war, well beyond the celebrations uh, for VE Day. Anything in the, in the pipeline? Have you heard of any big movies coming up, going back to the war? War films. Uh, I, I haven't actually, Jim, but that doesn't mean that you know not everything reaches my ears. So doesn't mean they're not in the uh, not in the making. I think you know we are going to continue having these meaningful anniversaries for quite some time, are we? It'll be the 80th, and and also that generation, you know, sadly are are dying out. And I think you know while they're while they're still with us, I think there's still a huge appetite, and they're still here with their memories as well, of course, you know, and the some of the, the, the veterans' memories inform a lot of this filmmaking. So I, I think there will continue to to be films. And, and also, they'll probably start remaking uh, some of the old classics, um, which is not necessarily a blessing. Uh, they, Of course, they remade... Dad, I was talking about Dad's Army a minute ago, and they, they remade that a few years ago with a different with a different cast and toby jones as captain mannering and everything it was it was they, they claimed that it was a reimagining rather than a remake but uh, uh you know you did have to sort of wonder why why on earth would they would they do it and it wasn't a total success let, let, we have a clip associated press i'm doing an article on the home guard become highly recommended you remind me of someone winston churchill i like to think that if we met We'd both be the richer for it. Oh, yes. Incense me in the Nazi tongue. I speak a little German. One of my nannies was from Leipzig. What's in my ears in a What did you say, Godfrey? Have you brushed your teeth, my angel? Yes, it, it, it just wasn't as funny, was it? I mean, the, the, the great thing about Dad's Army was it gently took the mickey out of so many things that we'd come to associate with the war. It did, and not just the war, you know. But, I mean, it poked, there was that class thing between you know the chippy middle class Mannering and the and his supposed inferior, who he knew was a social superior uh, in Sergeant Wilson, who was played in the in the remake by Bill Nye. Um, so yes, it was it was wonderful, and it didn't need a remake. Uh, and actually, they made a film of the original Dad's Army cast made made a feature length version themselves in 1971, where there was there was a wonderful moment where. There's a Wehrmacht officer looking across the channel through his binoculars to see what kind of resistance they might expect when they invaded. And all he sees is Private Godfrey emerging from a lavatory. <laughs> and they thought, oh, they probably we've got this war won. So um, there was more fun in that 1971 version, really, than there was in the, in the, in the remake. Claudia and Brad, thank you very much for that. 42 years ago in 1978, Jeff Wayne, then a successful composer of advertising jingles and television theme tunes, released his masterpiece, War of the Worlds. Based on H.G. Wells' sci-fi classic, it tells of Martians landing in, of all places, Surrey and the ensuing nightmare. 14 million album sales later, until the lockdown, the show was still being staged somewhere in the world every single day of the year. Its most recent iteration was the War of the Worlds 
immersive show in London, which, according to the reviews of those who've been, is an absolutely terrifying experience. Few men even considered the possibility of life on other planets. And yet, across the gulf of space, minds immeasurably superior to ours regarded this Earth with envious eyes. And slowly and surely, they drew their plans against us. It's an amazing thing, uh, War of the Worlds, that we're still terrified by the idea of Martians, aren't we? They still are our darkest nightmares. Why do you think that is? Surely we should have grown out of it by now. <laughs> yeah, you, you, you are right. So going back to 1897, when H.G. wrote his story, it was at the height of the Victorian Empire and an invasion and the challenges of faith uh, were as relevant then as they are today. If you think about the world we're in now, you know, the virus aside, I felt that's really what it was more about. It was how we can survive in a world where an alien force was, in theory, landing in our home hometown, so to speak, but really what it was about were these bigger underlying themes. And that's why I've stayed with it all these years, because I've never lost my love of those core values and the incredible visionary tale that uh, HG sort of plunked on top of those themes lives on today. It's as, it really is one of those stories that a man of great vision created and, and a jolly good writer along with it. Jeff, 42 years the War of the Worlds has uh, been out there. Take us back to 1978. How, how did you get it off the ground back then? Well, it was one of these sort of unexpected sort of right turns in my career, Jim, in that I was producing uh, other artists and writing a lot of music for TV and films and producing artists. And my dad kept reminding me that as a composer, he knew that I would want to at some point write a major work as long as we could find a story that I fell in love with. And it took about a year before we were reading all sorts of books, not just science fiction, that um, uh, it was my father who found H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. And I happened to be going out the very next morning on tour with an artist that I was producing and arranging, and I was his MD. And he said, here, have, have a read of this one. You might like it. And it was H.G. Wells' The War of the Worlds. And, uh, you know, no internet in those days, no nothing in the way of technology as we know today. So it was just something to read along uh, the route of our tour. And on first read, I just loved it. It was brilliant. And it got my juices going really up until only 2016. It was still in copyright. So it's, as much as I now had found a story or my, my dad found it, um, I couldn't just get going and start composing and do all the things that it eventually became. Uh, we had to uh, and it took about three months to locate the estate of H.G. Wells. Probably the, the most uh, important aspect about the whole thing was aside from I wanted to keep his dad's story in exactly the period, the main themes, stories of invasion, of religion, faith. It was all there in the book, shrouded in this amazing imaginative story of an alien invasion arriving in Surrey in England with alien beings who had incredible 
gigantic machines and super intelligence that the Martians had. The thing that I think connected most with Frank, his uh, HG's son, was that here was a father and son team because my dad and I were partners and he had a good relationship with his dad, with HG Wells. Uh, and that was probably the deciding factor that got us the rights to do not just my musical version, but everything over all these years uh, that have grown from it. So many things have uh, uh, have grown from it, Jeff. I mean, it started with Richard Burton in, in the lead. Had, was it difficult to persuade Burton to do it? Well, you know, it's sometimes uh, I guess things are meant to be because one evening we had some friends come over for dinner and they had just come back from New York on a holiday and they told us, oh, we just seen this really good play called Equus and it was starring Richard Burton. I thought, oh, that's amazing. We're talking about him. We're hoping maybe I can convince him if I can find him. So I just wrote him a letter, hoped when I sent it that it would actually arrive at the stage door of the theater in New York. And maybe with good fortune, we may even get a, a response. And it couldn't have been more than a few days after that. And uh, it was a man named Robert Lance, who was Richard's manager at the time. And he introduced himself and asked for me. I said, yep, uh, that's me, the, uh, the guy who signed the letter. And uh, he said, well, look, Richard has read the, the, the script and he loves it. And the following words, which I will never forget, was, count him in, dear boy. <laughs> I sort of went into a semi-state of comatose shock. And my dad happened to be over as well because we were having dinner, but then we were going to carry on working on, on the script and other things about the project. And I just handed the, the phone literally to him. And I said, I think, Mr. Lance, if you wouldn't mind speaking to my dad, we can progress things further. And it didn't take more than 30, 40 minutes. Everything that they agreed was reflected in a very short contract. Richard was on board. 42 years this has been out there selling millions of copies. The latest incarnation was an immersive experience that was uh, really drawing the crowds in in London. Uh, tell me about that. What, what can someone expect once that's up and running again? Well, the word immersive, I think, is the key to it. It's become a very popular word to represent. It can be one of many different things, but uh, it's to engage the audience, to take you into whatever world the entertainment is all about. About a two-hour show, uh, you really are in Victorian England. Many things happen that, particularly with virtual reality, but it's not the only thing. You are, for two hours, back in Victorian times, living through and seeing uh, this invasion of the Martians landing on Horsell Common in Surrey in England. As part of it, to get into the theatre, you have to go through what we call the Spirit of Man Bar and Restaurant. It's a themed restaurant, all uh, reflecting steampunk and all the visuals that people who know my musical version have gotten to know over the many years. So you really are engaged for a long time or as long as you want to stay afterwards or before, come for a meal or a drink. Uh, so you live and breathe for at least two hours and usually most people stay for, you know, for another hour or two after that or before. It's, it's another world, just taking you into another world. Uh, you've done so many things in, in your career, Jeff. I mean, 3,000 TV themes, uh, music for adverts and so on. 
you ever wish that somebody like me would ask you about something other than the War of the Worlds? <laughs> I'm very thrilled and honored that after all these years, I'm still talking to people who have an interest in knowing about how it came about with me and my career and other things that I've done. And uh, in parallel, I, my sport has always been tennis. I, I captained my home county of Hertfordshire for third. This is coming up to my 33rd year. Uh, these are all the young guys. And uh, I was the playing captain when I took over. Now I just carry the water and the bananas for the guys. And, and Oh, come on, Jeff. I'm not having that, Jeff. You are a very, very good tennis player. <laughs> You're one of the best in your age group in the world, aren't you still? Well, I, I, I have been. I've, I've uh, been in eight national finals, one five, two singles and three doubles. And I'm the only Yank, I'm told, male Yank anyway, to represent Great Britain, which I've done twice. Might sound a slightly bizarre thought, but we've been in lockdown for seven weeks now. Is that, for a creative person, inspiring? Do you think we're going to see lockdown musicals? Are we going to see a, a, a spurt of, of creativity come from people like you? I think it's challenging for anybody, not just musicians, writers, anybody that has something to say or to do. It's one of those unexpected periods of time where we have opportunities that we wouldn't normally if we were going about our, I guess, our normal flow of life, whatever that happens to be. So, yes, I've been doing things uh, during these two and a half months or however long it's been uh, that I wouldn't normally be doing. But at the same time, I was supposed to be going out on an arena tour again uh, next year. And with the coronavirus, uh, I wouldn't be surprised if our promoters make a decision to put it back six, seven, eight months. It's been one of those very unexpected times in any of our lives, for sure. Jeff, it's been an absolute pleasure uh, talking to you. I would imagine there'll be lots more sales of uh, War of the Worlds in the future. <laughs> You're never going to put it down, are you? Well, I don't really want to. So, but thank you for saying that. Thanks so much, Jeff. Been great speaking to you. Real pleasure, Jim. Thank you for inviting me on. Now it's time for Hits and Misses, where the Daily Mail's writers turn their expert eye to the week's new releases and tell us what's worthy of an 8pm doorstep ovation and what, frankly, should be given the widest of social distancing. First up, the Daily Mail's film man, Brian Viner. Uh, Brian, what have you got for us? There, there are a couple of documentaries, Jim, which are, which are worth a look. Uh, one of them available through Amazon Prime is called In Search of Greatness. Uh, and the greatness that it refers to is, is greatness in sport. And it's an analysis and an examination of how sportsmen and women are sort of a, a achieve, uh, get to a higher plane than mere excellence, but get to, get to absolute greatness and, and the ingredients that they need and how, how that can be sort of coached into them or not coached out of them, which is just as important. And it's, um, it's very, very interesting, and it focuses on three sportsman Pele, who needs no introduction to a British audience, but the other two possibly do. One is Wayne Gretzky, who's a Canadian ice hockey legend, and the other is Jerry Rice, who is an American football superstar. And so, needless to say, this is an American-made film, but there are plenty of clips of, of sports stars that we will be familiar with, um, Tiger Woods and Serena Williams and many others. Plus, the, the main talking head that they use uh, is... A guy called Ken Robinson, Sir Ken Robinson, whose Liverpool vowels are still 
discernible, even though he's lived in California for many years. He's a world-renowned educationalist. Let's just listen to a clip. A big part of it is giving people the freedom to experiment and try and fail and make mistakes when they're younger. You actually see this in chess. If kids study too rigidly certain types of openings, they literally become stuck in a certain pattern of playing and hit a plateau and never get better. They have to be given a certain amount of unstructured time to create and, and to find themselves. If you take 10 kids to a pond today and said to them, all right, go play, they'd say, well, what do we do? Because they're all so structured now and so it's so analytical now. And Brian, do they actually come to a, a conclusion about what does make greatness? They decide that, you know, if you, if you find that if you have a youngster with who is a a prodigy in terms of natural talent, then there are ways and means of, of sort of bringing it out. And there are things that you shouldn't do. And I think in this modern age, we, we're more inclined to do the things that you shouldn't do. Uh, for instance, they kids these days get, get funneled too quickly into, you know, a particular sport. And also, as, as touched on in that clip, they're made to, not only made to specialise too early, but they, they don't get any of that unstructured time you know they go that they're, they're, they're driven to the to the uh, football practice or you know cricket practice or whatever it might be um, and I think there's a there's a, a stat or a an observation in the film that Ken Robinson makes which is that apparently in certainly in America but I guess it's probably the same here uh, that your average high security prisoner gets more unstructured time per day than your average urban child, you know. Whoa, is that right? That they can, well, they get half an hour in an exercise yard where they can do whatever they like, and that is not the case with, with kids who are, you know, who are, apart from the time they spend on their game consoles and, you know, whatever, um, are, you know, are just disciplined and regimented if anybody thinks that they have sporting talent. And it's not actually very good for them. Um, and, and so there are various talking heads in this documentary. It's very interesting, and there are some great clips, Jim stuff that you'll remember like the two-year-old tiger woods hitting a golf ball on television which is extraordinary and also john McEnroe blowing a gasket at, at uh at wimbledon at a, at a an umpire for getting a line call wrong but the, so there's all that it's all you know greatness isn't necessarily always a great thing and it's certainly in a child you know but um but it's very interesting yeah i i highly recommend it and i would say it is a hit and you mentioned lots of documentaries. What's the other one you've been watching? Yeah, there's a there's a documentary on Curzon Home Cinema called Camino Skies, and Camino relates to uh, the Camino de Santiago, which is a an old pilgrimage trail which has been around for about a thousand years uh, to Santiago de Compostela in northwestern Spain. For some reason, that and I I knew this already before I watched this documentary actually, um, but for some reason. This trail, which is about 500 miles, is incredibly popular in Australia and New Zealand, more so than it is in, in this country. Um, so you get these Aussies and Kiwis coming over by the absolute truckload, or did do before lockdown, uh, to walk this trail. And, and so this documentary follows a few of them. And they've all come over for particular reasons because they, you know, they're getting over a bereavement or in one case, a fairly elderly lady has uh, very extreme arthritis. And so they um, and so this is what they do. They come over. Uh, doubtless there are, you know, there are things closer to home that they could do to help them. But but many of them do come over and they walk the Camino 
trail and this this documentary follows a few of them and it's quite it's very low budget so the cinematography could be better um but there are some real tear-jerking moments we'll, we'll listen to a clip the walking itself no it's not easy the, the distance and then also the going up and down the weather so there is really this sense of uh, suffering, but I think there is really something about the human spirit that is able to go beyond the physical pain. They're looking for something in their life, kind of a crossroad. Others come here because of a particular crisis that happened that they are coming to terms with. I believe that uh, experience of the Camino gives us the strength to go on. I remember once, uh, Brian, doing a feature uh, about another spiritual trip that uh, Aussies and New Zealanders make uh, at the Munich Beer Festival. Uh, <laughs> presumably this is on a slightly different spiritual level. <laughs> I think, I mean, you know, who knows? Maybe that maybe there are some people who go to Munich and get pie-eyed for a week and then and then head off to do the um, <laughs> do the, try to get it all out of the system. You know, now I suspect you're talking about two different breeds of. There's the there's the the Aussies who go to Munich, and then there are the Aussies who come and do the the uh, the Camino. But um, you know, it's quite enlightening, really, because as I say, it's 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 more well known to them than it is here. My wife spent a bit of time. She's a novelist, and she was researching a novel in Australia, and she she actually wrote the Camino trail into her novel because it's such a such a major thing in australia and it, she had an australian oh. character and and so as a result of this i mean it, it, is it something that will just appeal to Aussies, or is it a hit or a miss for you i i don't think so i think we all you know it speaks a universal language the universal language of of grief and illness these are things that you know that this documentary addresses so um from that point of view i would say it's a it's a modest hit Now I'm joined by the male's music critic, Adrian Thrills. Good stuff around, Adrian? Well, first off, I've got, I've got a new album by an American singer who was once dubbed The Great Orange Hope by uh, the guitarist John Mayer. No, it's, you can rest assured, it's not a new album by Donald Trump, but it's the, uh, <laughs> it's the, it's the debut from a singer called Hayley Williams who, um, from, uh, from Mississippi, who is the lead singer of the, the kind of pop-punk band Paramore, who uh, who kind of made waves over the last few years on the underground emo punk scene but uh, she's now releasing her first solo album and it's called petals for armor and uh, she should of course have been starting her first solo uk tour next weekend but of course she's she's hunkered down in uh, in mississippi and uh, she now lives in nashville and she's hunkered down there posting workout videos on on youtube and and interesting enough she's released this album in installments, partly because of the lockdown, she wanted to give her fans something to chew on over the last few weeks. So rather than just release the whole thing today, she's she's been sort of drip feeding us tracks over the last two or three months. But uh, uh, the album in full is actually out um, tomorrow. And it's a pretty good solo debut, actually. I think it's a classic slow burner, really. She begins with some quite experimental tracks. There's a couple of songs that show that suggest that she's been listening to a lot of Radiohead's more experimental stuff. And it starts quite slowly and subtly. But then as it gathers pace, um, you can kind of see why she's been tipped as the as the next Gwen Stefani, the kind of the crossover star who's moved over from the punk underground into the mainstream. And uh, I think we're going to listen to a song called Over Yet, which is one of the ones that she has posted a, a very entertaining workout video to. If 
Yeah, I can see why that one's uh, yeah, getting a bounce can... across the nation. Yeah, we can break sweat to that one, can't we? So, uh... <laughs> and, and, and as a whole, would you give a, a hit or a miss? Oh yeah, I think it's a bit. It's a record that takes a while to get going, but on on balance, it's definitely a hit. And I think she's she's going to be a star that we're going to have um, be hearing a lot from over the next few years. And who else have you been listening to, Adrian, this week? Well, the second album I've got this week is from a singer called Mark Lanigan, and I think we can safely say that this isn't one that we're going to be uh, working out to. As far as I know, Mark, Mark hasn't posted any workout videos to uh, accompany his anthems of doom and gloom. He's been in the news mostly this week, actually, because he just released his memoir called Sing Backwards and Weep. He's hit the hit the news over an ongoing spat with Liam Gallagher. Uh, some of his comments wouldn't be suitable for a family podcasts such as this, but he, he uh, amongst, amongst the things he accuses Liam of uh, being is he calls him a, a bothersome mosquito a small irritating monster that's that's the more printable uh, things but, uh, <laughs> where, where, where did they uh, happen upon each other for this row to start well uh, mark lanagan he was one of the prime movers and shakers in the nirvana grunge scene of the early 90s he was in a band called screaming trees who were peers of pearl jam Soundgarden, and nirvana he was a very close friend of the late kurt cobain by the mid nineties, they were they were touring. They did an American tour with Oasis, and I think that's where he and Liam ran into one another and um, kind of spent weeks issuing veiled threats to one another, saying they'd uh, they'd catch up with one another at a gig somewhere down the line. But the uh, the threatened fist fight never actually happened. But it's carried on as as a, one of those uh, classic music Twitter spats over the last few days. <laughs> the music itself, you you say it's not exactly chirpy. No, it certainly isn't. It's it's a very honest record. It's it's Lanigan detailing his his kind of wasted years. He 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 was he, he's got problems with drugs. He's had a life with a lot of emotional turmoil. He's lost a lot of friends, and uh, but he's been clean actually for since I think 1997. And but the book. And the record, they kind of revisit his his lost years, and it's lyrically very gloomy. But I have to say, musically, it's at times hugely impressive. And he's got some really great guest players on there. He, uh, he's John Paul Jones of Led Zeppelin plays Mellotron, and I think we're going to hear a song called Stockholm City Blues, on which the Warren Ellis of the Bad Seeds plays. And it's it's very evocative with lovely strings, finger-picked acoustic guitar, and some very poetic lyrics. Staring out the window of this hotel room The waxing and waning giant northern moon Brother Allo, are you good for a few more bucks? I promise someday soon I'm gonna change my love So, uh, Liam Gallagher's not gonna be buying it, Adrian, but should we? Well, it's it's a weird one because it's not really the kind of record that's going to lift our spirits in troubled times. But I think any other time of the year, it would it would certainly be a hit. And I see no reason really not to to say it's a hit now. He's got um, 
Isabel Campbell, one of his previous collaborators, called a classic effortless American voice. And I think we need a few of those. So, um, you know, I'd say a hit. And finally, Claudia Connell, the Daily Mail's television writer. Uh, Claudia, what TV got in store for us this week? There's a new drama starting on Sky Atlantic on Monday. It's called I Know This Much Is True. It's based on a best-selling book by an author called Wally Lamb. It's it's an American drama. Um, It's set in the 1990s, and it stars Mark Ruffalo, who I I really love as an actor. It's about identical twins, so obviously Ruffalo plays both parts. Dominic is a 40-something divorcee um, who who sort of never quite fulfilled his potential in life. And his brother, Thomas, is a paranoid schizophrenic. Um, In the opening episode, Thomas cuts off his own hand in a public library. It's quite a, a brutal scene. And he does it because he doesn't agree with America's actions in the Gulf War. And as a result, he's committed to a maximum security unit. And Dominic's is in a sort of constant battle throughout the series to try and get him free. That's that's a big part of the story. And another strand is that the twins never know who their father is. Even on her deathbed, the mother just won't tell them. So that obviously that hints that there's some dark family secret there to be uncovered. Um, and I think we have a, a clip here to listen to. On the afternoon of October 1st, 1990, my twin brother Thomas entered the Three Rivers Connecticut Public Library and prayed to God the sacrifice he was about to commit would be deemed acceptable. Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. I want you to be quiet now, or you will have to leave. And if your right eye offend thee, cut it out and cast it from thee. And if thy right hand offend thee, cut it out and cast it from thee. For it is profitable to thee that one of thy members should perish. Claudia, you suggested that Mark Ruffalo uh, is the standout uh, star of this. He is a terrific actor. How does he get on playing two identical twins? Well, he's phenomenal, actually. I've I've seen other shows where, where... you know, one actor plays twins, and it, it can be really confusing for the viewer because you never quite know which one they're meant to be. What's interesting in this is that um, Thomas, who's a schizophrenic brother, is 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 quite heavy, and the other brother, Dominic, is very slim. And when I watched it, I thought, well, I, you know, they've obviously used padding, but apparently what happened is that Mark Ruffalo, first of all, he filmed the part of Dominic, the slim brother, and then they went away for a few months, shut down filming. Um, he then put on three stone and then went back and filmed his part as Thomas, the, the, the larger brother. Whoa, that is dedication. That is, isn't it? Yeah. And, and does it make a hit or a miss for you? It's um, it's it's very bleak, um, which which sort of concerned me because I thought, gosh, is that what people want right now? It is sort of relentless misery throughout, but it is it's so good and it's so compelling. So I am going to say that it's a hit. Now, one of the great hits of the lockdown period was ITV's drama Quiz about who wants to be a millionaire. And the real thing is back this week. 
Yeah, so The Real Things Back um, starts this Sunday for a new series, and there's um, an episode every night for a week. But yeah, like you say, that quiz was such a huge hit, the story of the you know, the coughing major, the, the cheats, that people are going to be watching it with renewed interest. I mean, I, I was when I was watching the previews, especially when they you know, they played the, fast, the fastest finger first, and I'm watching it thinking, oh God, I wonder if they've all been practicing at home on the little <laughs> homemade devices. And actually, J- Jeremy, Clarkson is the presenter now and whenever a contestant has to phone a friend Jeremy Clarkson makes a point of saying to the to the you know, to, to the audience you know and and can you confirm that you you have a you know a member of the of, of uh, the production crew with you so so we know that they're not cheating they're not looking up the answers on the internet uh, what well, you mentioned Clarkson there that is yeah. the big change isn't it since yes. the millionaire of quiz is he as good as Chris Tarrant for you He's, I think he does it very well. Chris Tarrant, obviously, it's, I think when you, you say millionaire, everyone automatically thinks of him and he was a great host. But but he does it very well because he, he's very different. He's quite sarcastic. He's not afraid to rib the contestants when they're a bit dim and get their answers wrong. And quiz was all about the, the million pound win. Is there yeah. another million pound win? There? Or you probably can't tell us, can you? Well, there's uh, the, the, it's 20 years it's been going and there's only been five jackpot winners because obviously we can't count Charles Ingram because they never handed over the dosh. Um, well, I, I'm not allowed to say too much. Well, I, I, without giving away the sum, I can say that there is a very big win coming up and it's it's quite exciting, actually. And it's somebody that you would you're rooting for, that you want to, to win. So, hit or a miss for you, Claudia? Well, just I think just because of the renewed interest, um, you know, thanks to Quiz, I'm going to say that it's a hit. Well, now you know what's worth getting your 12-year-old to download for you and what you can happily miss out on. My thanks to Brian, Claudia and Adrian. Jackie Stephen, the male's own 24-hour party person, has been keeping us all entertained with her tales of lockdown life in New York over the past couple of months. And this week is no exception. Jackie, uh, how are the new royals, the new American royals, getting on? Oh, dear. They're in the news all the time. <laughs> I, I've so had enough of them now. They have a, a biography coming out of them at the beginning of August, and they're also still house hunting. The latest news now is that uh, they're looking at a $13 million property uh, in Pacific Palisades, which is sort of halfway between main Los Angeles and, well, Santa Monica and Malibu. Uh, it's a very, very smart area, and it's near quite a few stars. So that's the latest news on them. I feel a bit tired of them. Uh, they're in the news a lot, and yet there's this feeling of, oh, why don't you just go away. There's certainly a feeling of what the heck has Harry done? He has given up everything that he loves, the military, his family, for what? And I think it must be particularly difficult for him in lockdown because, of course, the whole point of them going to Los Angeles was that they'd have all their agents and publicists and all the celebrity friends, and they can't do any of that. They are at home. They've been in the news with Megan reading a story uh, to Archie, who's now one year old, and Harry filming it. So they're trying to create this cozy family life and maybe, I think, trying to portray themselves in a different way before the book comes out. But there is still this feeling of, oh, go away, we've had enough now. 
What about America's own uh, uh, royal couple, uh, Barack and Michelle Obama, though, Jackie? Surely they, they, they could fill in the gaps that Harry and Meghan are leaving. <laughs> well, they have been in the news this week because uh, Michelle's documentary launched uh, on Netflix and it's had very good reviews. She's a fascinating character. Women love her. She's very popular generally. And natural fact, Joe Biden, who looks like being the Democratic uh, nominee uh, for the election, he said that he would jump at having her as his running mate in a heartbeat. Well, it's not going to happen because she said that she has no interest in going back to the White House at all. And I, I think she'd make, make a great president. But I think she's having a really good time. The book has been hugely successful. She's making a fortune as a guest speaker all over the world and has an incredibly high profile now, probably higher than her husband's. The documentary is very interesting because it shows what an incredible rise to power Obama had. And he had the backing of his wife. And in a way, she was the in his shadow. She was she married the celebrity, if you like. And now the situation very much reversed. Michelle has become the celebrity. Uh, now, Jackie, uh, you've spoken about another Democratic leading uh, politician, uh, Andrew Cuomo, um, and you kind of had ideas that, you know, you, you were destined one day to be together. How, how's that relationship going? <laughs> oh, it's not going very well. All that's happening at the moment is all is still in my head. But I dreamt about him last night, and it was a very, very strange dream. I was awaiting a meat delivery. Now, it's very unusual to have that here at the moment because all, all the meat factories aren't producing, and there's a big worry that they're going to run out of meat completely. Uh, Wendy's hamburgers are only serving chicken now. Uh, and for America not to have its hamburgers, this is a really tough thing. So for me to be having a meat delivery, even in my dream, was a big deal. And when I was at the door getting my meat delivery, there was Andrew Cuomo being pinned up against the wall by someone by the throat. And luckily, I was at the door, so I was able to see the culprit's face and follow in hot pursuit. And then I woke up. So I have no idea if he escapes the clutches of this person or not. But I think that maybe I'm getting too involved. Uh, or, or that is the perfect plot for a new TV series. Uh, I can see <laughs> I it. I, I can see have it to write to him and see if he's all right. It's quite stressful. And people are saying that COVID dreams are very, very vivid. There's a, a, an expert in Swansea who was talking about uh, dreams and how the COVID is affecting our dreams. And mine certainly are very, very vivid. And I'm dreaming about my parents, which I haven't done for quite a while. My mum died last year and I've dreamt about her a lot more than my dad. In the dreams now, they're together all the time and it's all very vivid and actually quite upsetting and I think everyone is in such a high state of stress and anxiety and it's affecting us in all sorts of ways, you know, unconsciously. I think you're watching too much TV, Jackie. Could that be it? Nothing else to do. Oh, no, what we did in New York this week, we went out in our masks, and because they're doing takeaway deliveries of food and drink now, they're letting us drink drinks on the streets so long as we're six feet apart, and the police come around every couple of minutes to check that we're doing that. So we were there with our margaritas and our masks on, and it was very, very strange. An outdoor pub. It's the future, yeah. Jackie. <laughs> It's not so much fun to do a pub crawl when you're all six feet apart, I can tell you. <laughs> well, it's something we can all look forward to. Thanks for joining us, Jackie. Okay, Take care. Talk soon. Bye. 
And that's it from It's Friday. We'll be back next week and every week via Spotify, Apple and Google. Don't forget to sign up to your daily briefing from mailplus.co.uk. And if you'd like to drop us a line directly, we're on It's Friday at mailplus.co.uk. Until next week, I'm Jim White. Stay safe. Stay safe.